Well, Derek Redmond was running a race, much like you and I are running the race of our faith in Jesus Christ. The part in there that I just so love is as you watch that, would I'm sure agree, is when his father broke through and came along and carried him right up to that finish line. It really does picture well for us, our Heavenly Father that comes to our aid, especially in times of injury, of hurt, of even helplessness. This morning we're going to talk about prayer and how we can call upon this God that is ready to help, that is ready to bear us even in our greatest times of difficulty. Join with me as I ask God to guide our time. God, thank you that you are our Father, our Abba Father that we can call on that carries us in this race that we're running. Lord, we know that uh, your word says uh, that uh, we, we do not need to grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so we do. We rest on you. And we ask you to show us how we can best call upon you in times of weakness for ourselves and also for others. We pray these things in your name. Amen. A.C. Dixon, an author, wrote this. I love this. He shares this story. A dear friend of mine who is quite a lover of the chase told me of the following story. Rising early in the morning, he said, I heard the baying of a score of deer hounds in pursuit of their quarry. Looking away to a broad open field in front of me, I saw a young fawn making its way across and giving signs, moreover, that its race was well nigh run. Reaching the rails of the enclosure, it leaped over and over. When the fawn ran in my direction and pushed its head between my legs, I lifted the little thing to my breast and swinging around and around, fought off the dogs. I felt just then that all the dogs in the West could not and should not capture that fawn after its weakness had appealed to my strength. So is it when human helplessness appeals to the Almighty God well, do I remember when the hounds of sin were after my soul until at last I ran into the arms of the Almighty God, A.C. Dixon. You and I, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith and trust in Him, at some point in time in your life recognized that you were helpless in your sins, there was absolutely no way that you could live a sinless life knowing that God is a holy God and, and sin cannot enter into his presence and you are in need of a Savior and you called upon him by faith, trusted in his finished work on the cross that we just thought of and remembered of from Isaiah 53 and you became a follower of his. You became his child. He rescued you and now he carries you until you finish your race. But there's something that you and I have as followers of Jesus Christ, we're also ambassadors. You're the messengers. You and I get to share in this battle that we're in while we're on this planet, and that is the battle of taking the glorious gospel to people who are in their, still caught in their sins and do not know the Savior, do not see Him as their Heavenly Father. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he wanted them to understand this. 
He wanted them to understand that the gospel is the central message and that they, he was asking them, begging them, imploring them to become partners with him in sharing the gospel. So he traveled to different churches, sharing the gospel to different towns, sharing it. People came to know Christ. Churches were planted, were began, begun. But he had not yet been to Rome. He had heard of this church that had been established. And he was just saying to them, you know what? You're in a central city. You're in a central place. And you need to become partners with me in this as well. He says in chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves, let each of us please our neighbors for his good to build him up. For you did not please, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We bear that responsibility. And what a privilege that is to bear that responsibility. But I just want to say, he goes on in chapter 15, and he's going to talk about prayer. The most profound and powerful way to help those in need is to diligently pray for them. We are messengers of the gospel. We must preach the truth. We are those who can bear the, uh, up those who are in need in a very physical way, in a very direct way, and we must do that. We're called to do so. But the most profound and powerful thing that we can do is pray for people. My aim is to elevate this necessity of prayer this morning as you hear my voice and as we read this passage. So, if you're not already there, Romans chapter 15, verse 30, we read this. Paul says, I appeal, I beg of you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So our central point today is we are called to a great warfare. And to get the victory, we must give ourselves to constant watchfulness and unceasing prayer. What is prayer? It is not complicated. Prayer is conversation with God. It could be in an elevated plea. It could be in a soft whisper. It could be in a time of hurting. It could be a time of joy. It could be for yourselves. It could be forever. It's just a conversation with God. It is not complicated, although it's a struggle. We become warriors in the battle when we pray. Paul, when he was writing to the church at Ephesus, he wanted to let them know that they are in a spiritual battle. It's not one of flesh and blood, but it's one of principalities and powers of the air. It is a spiritual battle of things that we don't even see that's going on that's going on. And so when he talks to them about winning this battle, being victorious in this battle, he lists out some very specific armories. He talks about the, the, the truth, uh, the word of God, he talks about the, 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 the helmet of salvation. He gives all these different 
uh, metaphors that describes the soldier that needs to stand fast against this enemy, the devil. But the crown jewel of everything that he describes is the last thing that he says that has to happen. It is that of prayer. It's as if you could pull together all of the uh, kindling and all the fuel that you need for a fire, but that fire will not burn until there is a spark, and that spark is prayer. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray for me. It cannot be stated too frequently that the life of the Christian is a warfare, an intense conflict, a lifelong contest. When we pray and we become this warrior, we're going before God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. We're calling upon Him on the behalf of somebody else or for ourselves. There is nowhere else that you can go with such power, with such grace, with such mercy, with such effectiveness as in prayer. When you're praying for someone that is suddenly distant from you, maybe it's a son or a daughter that went off to college and now they're on their own, and you know of all the spiritual powers that are out there that could attack them, that could undermine them. Maybe it's when you even send your own children off to school in the local community, knowing of the different influences and the teachings that's going to be contrary to the things of what you know from Scripture and of God. Maybe it's yourself as you go into an environment that's hostile to the gospel. Maybe it's simply for the, for the care of someone who's ailing and sick, or someone's about to breathe their last, last breath, and they have not yet given their life to Jesus Christ. These prayers are powerful and they are the only hope is that he would intervene under those circumstances. I love what John Phillips says on this point. He says this, it is part of the genius of Christianity that any believer can become a warrior in the battle at any time and in any place, and make his influence count to the ends of the earth and in heavenly places simply by engaging in prayer. We get to share in this battle. In fact, Paul suggested that they pray intentionally for him, if you're taking notes. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to, I love this word, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That word strive is an athletic term. It's like that of a wrestler that's wrestling. It's not a casual thing. It's not a laid back kind of thing. It's not a let's see what they do kind of thing. It is a wrestler that is striving to win. And that is how we are to pray. It is how Jacob prayed with the Lord. I will grip you, I will wrestle with you till you hear my request. That is the kind of prayer that Paul is calling for, and that is the kind of prayer that helps us to win the battles that are before us. But he also says, it's by our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've come to a place in your life where you've recognized that you're in need of a Savior. You call upon Him. He is the good news because there was bad news. 
The good news is that he gave his life as a ransom for many. And he died on that cross, made full payment for your sin and mine. I call upon him as my Savior. I respond in saving faith. I become his child. I then are now his child and could call upon my Abba Father on behalf of myself and all others. But he also says, in the love of the Spirit, we can, by our own human spirit, care for others, do things for others, offer words of encouragement, perform tasks that encourage others. We are called and should do that. But it's by the empowering of the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference. See, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God moved into your life. And now when you pray, the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's how a person recognizes that they're in need of a Savior. It's now by the praying of the Spirit that a person or yourself are comforted, are taught the Scriptures, are able to discern what is right and what is wrong. You gain a consciousness that is a consciousness that is from God, not of a, simply of a human consciousness that God put in there so that we would understand that there is a right and wrong according to the law. He's not arguing when he says that we are to bear the infirmities of others, that we are to enable. But what he says when he sets up the whole um, context of the passage in the first part of Romans, I want to read this to you in chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the, the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us each please his neighbor for, this, uh, for his good to build up, for Christ did not please himself, as it is written, for the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. When he tells them this, he's basically saying, take the hard road on the for the benefit of others. There is such a human temptation to run from difficulty. There is just a human desire to avoid those who are going through difficulty. I need, oh, I don't think I could take care of that. Well, in the strength of Christ, I going in, he bears me up so I could bear them up. It is our responsibility to walk in to the battle to do so. This brings an incredible unity, by the way. He said in verse 5 of, um, I hope these guys are keeping up. I've come to jumping around here. But in verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord, in, in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If each believer were to get to know the God of all patience and comfort, there would be no strife over the non-essentials. Do you hear that? So much of our conversations, so much of our life, so much of what we dialogue about are about a bunch of non-essentials. Yet the Spirit of Christ would prevail if there would be a conversation and a wrestling of prayer and it would be a very different level of conversation that would go from the conversation that we have with God to the conversation that we have with and for one another. Consider this. As we share in the battle, Paul asks that they pray very specifically for him. So it's an intentional prayer. It's a wrestling prayer. But it's also a very specific prayer. And he breaks these up into three parts. And he does so by, with the word that. The first one 
um, is in verse 31. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Paul was all about taking the gospel right into the synagogue, so he was entering into enemy territory. The Judaizers were not followers of Christ. They opposed the message of the gospel. Paul was once one of them. Now he was a follower of Christ. He would go into these, these spaces. He would preach the gospel. They would run him out of town. They would cause division. They would bring about, in fact, let me just read you an occasion. In, in Acts chapter 14, Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Awesome. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So their minds, so that they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done in their hands. But the people of their city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made of the Gentiles and the Jews their, with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of this and they left. That's the pattern of Paul. So how was he to pray? For safety. He knew he was going to be heading to Jerusalem. He was heading to Jerusalem for the second thing that he was asking prayer for. It was for his service. Verse 31 says this, and as we continue, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That's an interesting request. He was gathering up funds as he traveled to the churches, the Gentile churches, to take to the church of Jerusalem for those who are impoverished. Yes, he wanted to meet their need, but what he really desired is that the, the, those that were in Jerusalem, the church, the saints, that they would actually accept the gift. Why wouldn't they accept the gift? Because even though they were believers, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, they saw themselves as two different people groups. They were having a hard time accepting the other people group, and Paul's begging and praying that they would accept the gift from this other people group in humility and in gratefulness. He wanted his ministry to continue because he wanted the unity of the body to demonstrate himself. That's what he's asking prayer for. Prayer for unity. Prayer that the gospel will be the overarching um, theme of every believer. Not that there would be divisions and separations and reasons to reject. So he was asking for prayer for that. That was his calling. And then the third thing, very specific thing that he was asking for, is in verse 32, and that was for his steps. So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul wanted to get to Rome. He had never been there. He had heard of the, the believers in Rome, and he wanted to get there so that he could be refreshed by them, encourage them, be built up with them, but also to remind them of the responsibility that they had to take the grace of God that they had received and spread that to the, those in their own community and beyond. He was praying for God's will. So we right here, we share in this battle. These are our admonitions as well. 
but we also get to share in victory. See, we fight from victory. In verse 33, he says, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul was facing danger, but he could face it calmly, unruffled, with perfect peace because he knew the God of peace. That's how he entered into the battle, and that's how he was victorious in battle, is trusting in the one who brings victory, the one who goes before and fights for you. The war room of prayer is a place of power and victory. Paul's prayer for safety was answered. He was given, he was given route of safety that took him all the way to Jerusalem, he, and his service, asking for service, that was answered as a yes as well, because what was said of those Jewish uh, saints is that they gladly received the guests that came from the Gentile churches, and were grateful for that. But also, Paul got to Rome, found himself in Roman prison, doing incredible work there, and was able to do ministry alongside many of his uh, Roman believing friends. I love this quote from C.H. Spurgeon. He says this, No man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. I truly believe this. There are so many acts of kindness that you give to one another, that we give to each other, and that's wonderful. We need to continue in that. But there's something about, well, it's not just something. It is a reality that when someone is praying for you by name and they're gone before God, they're thinking of you, they're gone before God on your behalf, they're striving together, perhaps two in the morning, three in the morning, or on a regular basis, day by day, they're putting your name before the throne of grace. There's something very humbling about that. I shared this with a friend uh, of me and Tammy's, and just afterwards, Tammy said, that is such a humbling, wonderful thing that someone would put my name before the throne of grace. 